This is the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast, session number 100, Marking Your Milestones. Five, six, seven, eight. Hi there, and welcome to session number 100 of the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast. If you had told me years ago that I would have a podcast and be loving it and loving the conversations that I've been having, I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> But I do love it, and I'm so appreciative that you're here with me. My name is Annette Bone, and the Dancepreneur Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the joy and the privilege of sharing my journey back into the dance world, the transformation that I've experienced, the business lessons I've learned, life lessons, and I also get to feature wonderful artists who share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. Now, I am beyond excited to feature my next guest on this 100th episode. The timing was perfect. And I think it's really important to mark milestones in your life, whether big or small. And so celebrating this milestone of of 100 episodes on my podcast I'm so thrilled to be bringing this person to you. I've talked about him quite a bit on on past sessions, although I've never named him, and now I can. He is my awesome dance trainer and dear friend, David Bagley, and you can find him at davidkbagley.com, and I will link his information in the show notes at annettebone.com forward slash 100. Oh my gosh, this guy rocks. <laughs> That's putting it mildly, and you're going to hear that on our conversation coming up as we talk dance and life and business and his mindset and things he's taught me. And he's been so instrumental in me reaching several milestones in my dance and business and life journey, and I could not be more thankful. So let's get into celebrating this 100 episode with one of my favorite people in the world. Here we go. Hello, hello, beautiful people. This is David Bagley, performance artist, educator, choreographer, and entrepreneur. And you're listening to another session of Dancepreneuring Studio with my good friend, Annette Bone. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. I feel incredibly blessed that I get to commemorate my 100th podcast episode with my special guest today. He is a performance artist, educator, choreographer, and entrepreneur, and co-founder of Push Dance Intensive, which is a -a one-of-a-kind, customizable, high-caliber dance-intensive training program. He has his BFA in dance performance from Chapman University in Southern California and is currently pursuing his MFA. His credits are numerous, working alongside celebrities such as Jerry Lewis, Richard Dreyfuss, Pentatonics, The Prince and Princess of Monaco, and Sandra Bullock, to name a few. I cannot go into all of his credits because they are numerous. He's performed with professional companies such as Entity Contemporary Dance Company, Ballet Magique, and Rasta Thomas Bad Boys of Dance. Some other notable companies that he's done creative projects for include Audi, NBC, and Dance for Life. He's taught and choreographed all over the country at high-profile dance institutions such as Broadway Dance Center and Joffrey Ballet School in the New York City area, as well as Edge Performing Arts, Boogie Zone Utopia, and Evolution Studios in the Los Angeles area. 
If you've listened to my podcast for any amount of time, you've heard me share things I've learned from this guy, and he's been all over the world sharing his craft, and now I get to share him with you. I want to welcome my awesome dance trainer and my dear friend, David Bagley. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm great. Hi, Annette. I'm so excited to be on the show. So excited. Uh, I'm so thrilled. You know, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I've talked about my dance trainer told me this, and he taught me this concept, you know, as we've been doing our training and stuff. So now I finally get to introduce you and share you my secret weapon in dance training. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) So let's get into the questions. I know there's a ton we can cover. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, because it's just, you know, everything you've taught me, everything we've been through has been so Mm -hmm. incredibly comprehensive. It's Mm -hmm. been inspirational. It's been challenging. (laughs) You know, it's been thought provoking, but I love all of it. Your training methods are very comprehensive and sometimes unconventional. What has been the biggest influence in putting together your methodology and your curriculum? Ah, oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, first off, I'm crazy. So let's just start <laughs> with that. Um, but, but, my, but you're right. My methods are comprehensive and are unconventional. Um, I have a very uh, big philosophy in place with my methods. I use my personal experience to develop my methods as well. I'm a big fan of having knowledge of what you're training with. So if you're training in dance, like know the history, know what you're training about, know the instrument that you're using, your body and stuff like that. So um, for curriculum, it it just depends on each student. You know, I've been doing a lot of privates and stuff recently, and and it really depends on the person, the dancer, the artist's goals on what they want to uh, get out of my training. But I do believe in a full dance education. You know, you need to learn how to dance as a dancer. You need to learn how to create as a choreographer. You need to learn how to be an educator and teacher and give back to the community. So yes, I try to implement all those avenues um, within my training. So that way people know kind of what they're getting into and what avenue they want to go down. From an educator's perspective, what are some things that an effective educator needs to implement so that their student gets the most out of classes or private sessions? Honestly, uh, class etiquette. I cannot tell you. I have been very fortunate to travel all over the place and and come come into contact with many different students. And the common thing that I see plaguing a lot of institutions is people do not know how to conduct a class properly as a student. Uh, For example... um, like going across the floor for progressions, you know, starting all the way across the floor and going all the way to the end um, and hustling in class and being being a part of class and being, you know, having that communication bet- between teacher and student. A lot of students, I feel, mindlessly take class. And if there was a little more method and structure to the planning, I feel like uh, class would be a lot more rewarding for them. I think basics are very important. So if you're if you're training underneath someone and they're not having you do basics continually throughout your dance training, that is a big air. And I'm talking like full body basics. Like I'm talking squats, lunges, full body position holds, um, holding your own weight, um, like in push up positions and stuff, being as athletic as you can. Because you're, like I said, you're only as good as your instrument. Absolutely. Yes. And from personal experience, I've experienced all of that. And uh, so when a student is looking for someone to coach them, or even just even in classes, um, what if they're not 
the teacher doesn't incorporate the full body movement and the conditioning and the exercises, should they not take the class or, sh- you know, what, what do you recommend about that? Absolutely. Um, it's really interesting because it really depends on the dancer and what their goals are and what they're looking for. Like a lot of time dancers are hobbyists and they just want to, you know, take dance for, you know, to condition themselves and be active. Sometimes there are a lot of artists and they're more interested in cr- the creative process. Sometimes there are performers who love to just perform and experience the the, the emotion and stuff. So you really got to know what you're training for and what, what kind of avenue you're going for. But in trying to find a good teacher, you want to find someone who's well-rounded, someone who can teach multiple styles, someone who's really good at explaining things, someone who has a history and knowledge of anatomy and kinesiology and can, understands the way the body should move. And you need to find someone who's going to be engaging to you and give you personal attention. So it is, it is a trust issue. Uh, I always, when I um, pull my students out, I always try to let them know that like, hey, like, I'm going to invest as much as you're going to invest into yourself. You know, it's kind of a partnership between um, teacher and student. And it gets very difficult at times because the teacher can't do um, do the work for the student. The student has to do the work. The teacher can only give suggestions. So you have to really have a good bond between teacher and student. And that's different for everyone. So you really, really try to find someone that you can click with and someone that you respect and you know is going to push you. So... You have high standards, and there is a particular type of student that you take on for private training. I know you don't just take anybody, and you have certain expectations. What kind of things would you tell someone that they would have to do in order to attract um, a high-caliber trainer or a dance coach, and what would you say about that? First things first, if you want to attract a teacher's attention uh, to train you and stuff, you have to be willing. You have to be there, like, knocking at their door, whatever they tell you to do, you have to be wholeheartedly willing to surrender into yourself and let them take the reins. But also by surrendering in yourself, you take the reins. You know, it's a trust issue. Uh, Mm -hmm. I train all levels. I train all styles. I train all ages. And like I said, each person has their different goals. And I I try to gear what what dance is to them. And I try to show them how dance is applicable to life and how life is applicable to dance. So it really depends. But work ethic is something that I really try to um, put importance on. And I give, I give extensive homework. I give comprehensive homework. If you want to get good at something, I will make you good. I will give you the tools that you need. I will give you the time. I'll give you the resources, but you have to be willing to put in the work. And a lot of times people, and by people, students, they don't understand how much work goes into, um, being a dancer, how much work goes into being a performer, a choreographer, an educator, a teacher, just like anything. It takes time and it takes knowledge. And so you just have to put that time forth. And I really make that clear with my private students that if you're not willing to take on the lifestyle of a dancer or whatever it is you're, you're pursuing in this, then, you know, maybe it's not right that I train you because I'm, I'm going to work as hard as I can to get you where you need to be. So in my training with you, I have copious notes and <laughs> things that I yes. have taken down, you know, <laughs> quotables that you've said that are so yes. awesome. And one of them that you say often is be strong and be wrong. What do you mean by that? Th- that goes back to kind of being willing. A lot of times, at least through my personal education and experience, I found, you know, me being progressive in, in my training methods was me being willing and a lot of the times I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I would be doing the choreography, but I would be wrong, but at least I was doing it with conviction and I was selling what I was doing. So at times you are going to like hit a wall. You are going to fail. You are going to not know what's going on. But if you're willing to just be strong and wrong and just do it, you're going to find out what mistakes you need to correct um, once you have time to retrospectively look back on it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, you 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 say that a lot. It is it's it's always stuck with me because especially before when I was training before it was always about trying to be perfect and sometimes that expectation was just at least for me it was too much and then it was even harder because there was that such I I understand the thing about expectation but at the same time it didn't allow me to fully go for it if that makes sense so yes. that really stuck with me as you you know as you've talked about that there was um one time where you were teaching me a combination across the floor mm-hmm. and I was not getting it, which was often. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you said, and you know, I was, you, you, you heard me a mutter under my breath, you know, I can do this. I can do this. And you mm-hmm. were like, no, you are doing this. You are doing this changing. Mm-hmm. Just you're, changing in the the pro- word. you're already in the process. Yeah. And yeah. um, I want to quote something that you also said about this. Um, if you want to do something, you have to fully immerse yourself in it willingly. You have to mm-hmm. become, embody, and ultimately symbolize it. If you're not willing, it will not come into fruition. If you don't become the definition of it, it will not come into fruition. And if you do not invest in making it a lifestyle, it will not come into fruition. Never I can always I am. That was huge for me. Because it was, you know, you're telling yourself, I was always telling myself, okay, I can do this. No, it's about you're in the moment I am you, doing it. You so have that to was make the decision. You have to make a decision. And, and I, I mean, I guess I'll go off on like, like social culture and stuff. I feel like now that we have menus that are the size of novels, and we have, you know, build your own pizza, my, my company build your own intensive, you know, we have a lot of <laughs> We have a lot of options available to really specify our wants and needs. And very so often that can become overwhelming to people. And a lot of people don't like making a lot of decisions. So they just kind of brush things to the side. But if you're willing to make a decision, you know, if you're willing to have a dualistic kind of mindset, you know, there's there's a yes and there's a no. There's a yin, there's a yang, there's an on, there's an off. And you just flip the switch. It's either this or that. You can make a decision very easily. And that's what I'm trying to to let dancers know is that, you are currently in the process of becoming what it is you're, 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 you, what you vision yourself to be. So being able to say, "All right, I am. I can do this. No, I am this because I am. I am putting forth the work. I'm putting forth the effort to become it." So. Yes, and that's just even that the switch of words because, like you were always talking about, you always talk about it's not always about the content; it's about the approach. Yes. And in your classes, what I love. Most of the time, I have to say, <laughs> because it's, you know, it's challenging mm-hmm. is that you don't give us time sometimes to think you just we just have to go for it. It's expected. And yeah. Yes. And so I felt like that was a huge learning experience for me, because it didn't give me time to question like, okay, am I supposed to do it this way or that way? And, and even if I like you said, even if I did it wrong, at least I got through it. And okay, I, I know what I need to improve for next time. So that's been a huge learning lesson for me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I feel absolutely, I agree with you. And I, and I love we're doing this podcast because we can talk about your process and, and use that to highlight, you know, the, the, my methods and things and pull, pull examples from my methods. One thing I really love to do with people to challenge them is I'll teach them something and then I force them to work them figure things out. Very so often we step into a class and we're taught choreography and this finger has to be there and this arm has to be there and your eyeball has to be pointing there and your nose has to be pointing there and it gets kind of complex because you're trying to replicate specific, you know, highly specified choreography. But very so often a lot of dancers don't get the opportunity to work and that is very important because if you're ever doing like company work and you're working with a choreographer 
and they give you, you know, general dynamics to base movement off of, you have to be willing to come to the table and help create artistically. Um, and a lot of dancers don't get that in their training because a lot of training is different depending on what the dancer is doing. So I like to, like I said, flip things on the head and make you work and have you, you know, problem solve and, and really get your mind working uh, in class. And that's one of the ways that I do it. You've often said, too, that choreography is problem solving. I love that. Dance, choreography, it is. It's just how, how you see the problem. How am I going to fix it? Cause and effect. And if you fail and fall on your face, everyone will laugh. You'll have humility. You laugh at yourself. You know what I mean? But then you yes. figure out what not to do. You know, I feel like a lot of people are afraid to... Um, push past their extreme. But if you don't push past your extreme, you don't know where your boundaries lie. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. Yes. So like, for example, and I can apply that to dance. If I don't push past my leg when I'm doing a PK, maybe a PK turn and pushing my weight onto my supporting leg, if I don't push past it, then I don't know where my center is. If I don't give enough, then I'm not getting onto my center. So you have to go past before you can kind of find the balance. So push your push your extremes, I always say. What do you like best, teaching, performing, or choreographing, and why? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> because, Don't well, do me like that. You're good at all of it. I know, but I you're appreciate good that. at all Thank of you, it. No, um, I, find, I find so much value in life through, through experiences between other people rather than my own personal experiences. Um, I really love educating and teaching and giving people uh, resources and knowledge that maybe I didn't have. And I love uh, being a part of the community and having an, an overall effect within a community. Performing is very personal because performing is for me. Performing is tran transcendental for me, depending what it is. It's a way of experiencing things for me. I'm very mentally active. So whenever I can be physically active with my mental, me being mentally active and kind of create this environment where I can, I can mesh my two worlds. And like I said, I, I can transcend and, and it's really, it's a really, um, beautiful experience because I get to play characters and I get to experience situations by fully immersing myself in a character that maybe isn't presented to me in my personal life. So I do learn from a lot of my performances and I get to also have a connection between audience. There's, there's so much that goes into effect. That is very uh, personal for me. I have my own ritual before I go on stage. So yeah, and, and, and I think uh, performing should be personal to every single performer because that ultimately is the most um, intimate thing. It's putting yourself out there. So, but teaching, I love teaching. That is my, like I said, my ability to give back to the community. Choreography, I love creating things that maybe haven't been done before. And, you know, being able to collaborate artistically with other artists is very rewarding as well. And I wish everyone gets to experience that. Now, you were talking about experiences, and I know you are a big proponent in experiencing as much as you can with everything that you can. What would you say <laughs> was. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of push boundaries a little bit. I told you, I'm crazy. <laughs> really? I'm yeah, crazy. really? Yeah, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. Those are, those are my methods. That's okay. <laughs> I've benefited highly from your methods, so I, I can't you. complain for sure. Thank what you. has been um, your most disappointing dance experience? Disappointing? Like a single experience or my current experience? An experience can be like a moment in time or an experience can be, you know, um, a section of time and it can be ongoing. I don't know. I feel the community um, right now, a lot of important issues that should be important are kind of being swept underneath the table. And right now I feel like the the dance community may, may be very volatile to any change. And I think a big change might come. 
But right now I see a lot of negative things in the industry and I see a lot of importance being put on negative things. That's not going to be progressing dance as an art form. So that is kind of disappointing. But personal, my personal most dis- uh, uh, what disappointing dance experience is... Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Injury. Yes, injury. Yes, because very so often injury prevention isn't taught. Very so often uh, learning about the body and how the body is supposed to move isn't taught and how a body transitions from a high level to a low level into a floor safely using physics. So um, I had a very bad hip injury and it's been ongoing and it's been chronic and I've seen a lot of PT and chiropractors and acupuncturists and doctors and things like that. And I've done all the research as well. And I know exactly what's going on in my body. Um, and I've become very hypersensitive to my injury because uh, it's been ongoing like that. Um, and I've learned a lot about what I teach and stuff through, you know, this whole experience. So I value, I value this experience a lot. So it is disappointing, but it is fulfilling in a sense. But it's disappointing because it's, I had to sacrifice my own <laughs> body <laughs> and go through mm-hmm. the pain and all that stuff. And it's, it's really interesting through all the PTs and specialists that I've seen, I did realize that a lot of them weren't going to invest in me as much as I was willing to invest in myself. And it goes back to kind of that, that, that lesson I was talking about the relationship I have with my private students. And that's why I think it's very important because when you need to get better at the end of the day and you're only looking out for number one, it's hard. It's hard to move mountains by yourself. When you have someone in your corner fighting for you, that's always great. And I was looking for to have, you know, someone who was willing to give me that kind of push and me getting better and getting over, you know, my hip injury and things like that. And it was very hard to find people like that. A lot of specialists were there just to get paid and do their job which I respect, but like what I do is I share services with people and I love to share my experience with people and I give them a service. So like I'm, maybe I'm just too um, sensitive about things like that, but my most disappointing dance experience would personally would be like my hip injury and having to go through all these different specialists looking for someone to invest in me and not having that. So I like, like, like I said, I try to stress that in my training methods. Absolutely. So what has been the most fulfilling dance experience so far? Oh, God, flip it. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have to end with positive, you know? Well, let let me just let me just say that I love what I do. And I am so honored and thankful to to be doing what I do and have an effect on people's lives, a positive effect and come into contact with so many people. It really is very rewarding. Since a young age, I've always done charity work. I love doing charity work. Uh, You know, I, I very so often talking about services, offer my services for free to do things like that. And I'm always willing to offer my services for free for a greater good. So that is very fulfilling for me. And like I said, teaching and educating anytime I have a positive effect on people's lives is more valuable and substantial to me. So like I said, I love what I do. And and I'm very grateful. I could be sitting in a cubicle. I could be digging a hole. I might, you know, I might enjoy digging a hole, though. You know, I like physical labor. So (laughs) You know, that's true. You are you do do that kind of stuff anyway on your off time. So yeah, you probably yes, it's probably well, cathartic for you. I like yeah, I like being physical. And I've learned a lot about training through physical practice and a lot a lot of wisdom through um, problem solving. You know, when you're when you're a kid growing up in Texas, like putting things together and trying to, you know, make something out of nothing, like you, <laughs> you become very uh, inventive and creative. So like, I use I use my personal experience from from having those experiences and I implement that in my methods as well on how to be creative and artistic. So it's obvious that you have a very strong work ethic and I wanted to find out what were the driving forces that motivated you to finish high school early? Were you always this way? Were you taught this or did you just kind of 
develop this on your own? How did all that happen? Well, this is just me. Like <laughs> I've always, I've always been this way. Um, I was very hyperactive as a kid and I mindlessly didn't know how to channel it. I didn't know how to focus my, me being mentally hyperactive. And as a kid, you know, you're young and invincible. I was physically hyperactive as well. You know, my, my body could keep up with my mind, but very so often nowadays, it's like my body can't keep up with my mind. But at a young age, I think around like maybe six, I figured out how to focus this, um, hyperactivity and I realized I was getting things done. I was learning things. I was progressing in my life. You know, I, I would like, it goes back down to even like kindergarten. I would do like addition, multiplication, like tables and finish all my math homework for the day. So the teacher didn't know what to do with me. So I'd just be sitting there <laughs> getting into trouble, you know, um, being creative or like, doing, you know, it's just, it, it's, I've had a very interesting childhood um, growing up in a small town in Texas. And so it, a lot of my training methods that I've experienced um, were very um, unconventional and also a little easy for me. Um, I did graduate high school early, but that was not easy. Don't get me wrong. Like I worked my butt off for that. And I did graduate college, not early. I did four years and I'm glad I did. If I did college early and tried to get out, that would have been too fast. So I'm very glad that the institution, Chapman University, said I had to do four years. But I don't know. I've always, I've always been hungry. And like I said, I've always been willing and I keep coming back to that word because if you're, if you, if you're willing to absorb and go into the room and be the most humble person in the room and listen to everyone to hear everyone's worth, you know, and be open-minded, then you can, you can base your reality off of those conclusions. And very so often I feel like, um, you know, people focus on what they heard rather than listening to what they see. Does that make sense? You yes, know what I mean? Like they're told uh -huh. all these things and then when they, go, when they go out to an experience, they don't experience the experience for what it is. They experienced it biasly, you know, from what they've heard. Uh -huh. Does that make yes. sense? So like, that and, sense. And, and that is very important to really finding your own path and finding your, your own meditative release and your training as well and getting deep into your body is you won't know what works for your body until you do it and you see the results. So forget, like I said, forget what you heard. <laughs> listen, I mean, pay attention and apply what you heard. I know it's really contradicting, but like, forget what you heard. Like, listen to what you see. If you see what works for you, then you know that's what that's how that's how it's supposed to be. And this can be applied when like you're learning. Does that make sense? Like me, I'm a visual learner. I need to see what's going on. But you know, some people they you know they can learn through um, explanation. They can learn through analogy. They can learn through imagery. And like I said, as a teacher, it's very, very important to cater to all of these different kinds of learners. You have to be able to explain a vast majority of concepts simply, you know, and distinctly, but from many different perspectives. So that way, a lot of people can absorb the same information, but differently through different mediums. That's what I so appreciate about your training, because you encompassed all of the senses and your analogies are amazing and they stick. And I remember you saying about like, and even with uh, me taking yoga too, it just kind of all came together where both you and the teachers in my yoga class would always say, breathe into a certain part of your body. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. how do you breathe into your leg? You know, like when mm -hmm. we were working on um, the middle splits, I'm like, how am I supposed to be breathing into my hips here? I don't, I know, I don't get it, you know. But as I've been uh, training and you know working with you and taking yoga, I thought, ah, okay, I get it now. I feel it now. But it's taken me a little while. And it and it will. It's 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 a mental game more than anything. Um, yes, yo yes, yoga is yoga is, and I love yoga. And dancers should always cross train in yoga. That's the thing. A lot of my private students, 
like the bond that we were talking about and, and, and the um, partnership that I established with them, I force them to cross train. You cannot yes. do dance with me and only do dance because then all you know is dance. You know, you have to be able to cross train and learn other principles. Therefore, you can apply those principles to dance. I don't teach people dance. I teach people how to learn and apply the natural world around them, their creative, their, their creative juice and apply it to, to dance. So um, I keep saying that I don't teach people dance. I teach people how to learn and how to prospectively look at things and apply different methods to better enhance their, their dance experience, if that makes sense. Everything you say makes sense. Okay, good. I'm not crazy. So, no, no. <laughs> You're but, um, crazy. But but, I am crazy. Know. But no, but I feel like, I feel like it's valid what, what I'm talking about. Because um, very so often I see a lot of young dancers. And like I said, I've been blessed with the opportunity to travel and, and teach at prestigious institutions. And I travel around and it's really interesting to see um, these dancers and see, see all their different approaches. I try to, like I said, teach them different methods to to approach different methods to um, applying to what it is they're learning. I love to, like I said, teach people how to learn. Cross-training in dance is super, super important because, like I said, uh, it's applicable to dance. You can use principles from other methods and apply that to dance. Very so often when you see yoga and dance paired together, those are good principles to add because that surrender, that release, that breathing, the breathing techniques you learn in yoga is very important that you can... um, very important to implement in other areas of dance. For example, I can implement that in my ballet training at bar, those breathing exercises. I can implement that in my stretching performance and really releasing into my muscles. So it's, it's really important to learn everything you can so that way you can better apply it to dance. Very so often, I, I try to have this outlook when I personally take class. You know, I don't, I don't go to class to learn the best, new, coolest choreography. I go to class to pick the teacher's brain to see how they look at movement, to see how they interpret dance, to see how they define what it is that they're doing, to see their approach, to see their philosophy. Therefore, I can better apply to what it is I'm doing. Does that make sense? Yes, that's that's gold. That is it, really I feel, important. And I feel, because I was teaching at the Edge, and I love the Edge kids. I love them so much. But I was teaching in, in, in L.A., and I felt like a lot of the mentality of the L.A. community is a lot of them were eager to, to show up and and do choreography, you know what I mean? And have it just be that. And there's phenomenal dancers in LA. But I felt like class itself was lacking because LA is a come up city. Everyone wants to commercialize things. They want to film choreography. They want to sell a product. I love that. But when you take it back down to the root of taking class and training and really pushing boundaries mentally, artistically, physically, like training, like an Olympic athlete, which a lot of these dancers are, you, you don't have enough time in, in the class to, to dedicate to that. So I felt like in L.A., a lot of people, they showed up to class and their intentions were to learn choreography rather than learn methodology and philosophy so as to better apply to their own artistry. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. So that apparently is lacking, at least in the commercial dance world in the L.A. area. It depends on who the teacher is. You know what I mean? Because each teacher has their own philosophies and stuff like that. And there are some great teachers in L.A., don't get me wrong. Like, there are some powerhouses holding it down. But, like... Absolutely. Um, when you start talking like bi-coastal bi- um, LA versus New York, you know, New York is very um, concert based and their training methods are very, you know, set in like <laughs> doing technique and having rituals and having a correct warm up and doing this where, you know, LA is very like pop up shop. Let's hit the step. Let's get the shot. Ball change out. Let's get some drinks. You know what I mean? Like we did the thing. <laughs> 
which I mean, LA, uh, New York is like that too. But at least there, at least there is time dedicated uh, to a good classical warm up, depending on the teacher and stuff. There's there's a lineage of that, you know. So well, that's really important for injury prevention as well. Absolutely, and that's great just for physical practice. Because I mean, how, how, I'm trying to think of analogy. You know, me thinking of analogies, but like I can't think of right now. But like I always say, you you're you're as good as your instrument. So like. You wouldn't just take a saxophone and just start wailing on it. You know, you would, you would prep your instrument. You wouldn't just like start pounding on the keys. You would make sure everything was in, in the right place. You, your sheet music was out. You know what I mean? You, you, would, you would do your self body check because there's so, very so often, you know, at least dancers nowadays, they, they don't, they have to dance on concrete. They don't get a lot of the rights that a lot of other artists get. And so if you don't have a proper ritual or a proper warm up, that's specified to what it is you're going to be doing, you are very prone to get injured. And I am a prime example of that. And I've seen that. I've seen a lot of young dancers ruin their careers because they don't train correctly or they straight up don't train and just try dancing. They reach a certain point where they think in their career training and upkeep of their instrument isn't an importance rather than just choreography and doing dance. Does that make sense? So... Yes, that does make sense. And it all depends on people's motives and goals. You know, there's only 24 hours in a day to get things done. And, and, it, and it's, it's a very hard industry where you do have to hustle. But I, it is important to your own practice to upkeep yourself. I do believe that. And like I said, even if you have a morning ritual, that's an hour of just getting into your body, that might be enough for you. Everyone's body is different. But like I said, New York is very based in that having that time to dedicate to yourself before we're about to dance. Um, where LA, we come to serve, you know, <laughs> so, but they serve in New York too. Don't get me wrong. They'd be given life in New York and that, but that's, that's kind of what I see. So that's obviously lacking in some parts of the industry. Do you think there has been any aspects that have improved in the dance industry as a whole? Or do you think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done? Because we talked a little bit about the whole social aspect of things and, and things being kind of put under the rug. Do you think there's any positive things that have happened in the industry? Oh, absolutely. In the last couple well, of years? well, I like to think it like this. And t- this is, this is just from my experience. People say the dance industry. And they generalize the dance industry, but there are multiple industries. There's a concert industry. There's a commercial industry. There's a musical theater industry. There's a film industry. You know, there's choreography industry. There's, there's a lot of different industries that you can go down in the dance realm. Um, there's the convention industry. And by goodness, Mm -hmm. like, look how, look how massive that thing is. A lot of times the, um, the convention industry is bigger than the actual dance industry. You know, so it, it depends on what industry and when people generalize the dance industry, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what it is they're talking about. If I can kind of maybe put any idea out there is maybe try to try to look at what type of industries that, that there are and how to um, how to define them, because it's really hard because it's because the values are different. You know, the concert world is completely different than the commercial world. And you'll get professional dancers who can straddle the line. And those are good working dancers. But then you also have dancers in the convention world who completely have professional careers in the convention world. So there's many different industries you can go down. So yeah, really, really try to look with an open mind at the industry or industries, I should say. Do you think that there are improvements being made in within each of those areas from what you've seen in your experience? There is, there, there absolutely is, but it's, it's slow and steady. I feel like a lot of the elders are getting together, um, at least what I was experiencing in LA and really fighting for rights, like on set and fighting for, um, benefits. You know, a lot of, a lot of choreographers and a lot of dancers, they don't get, you know, a 401k, they don't get salary, they don't get healthcare. Um, so they're really trying to, you know, make it established that they can get benefits. And so I, I, I fully support that and they can dance, 
they don't have to dance at three in the morning on concrete, you know, they get, and if they do, they get paid, you know, overtime or, or hazard pay or stuff like that. Cause I've been on set and seen some crazy things go down to some dancers, you know, where like pyrotechnics happened and like an, a dancer got injured or like a lift didn't go down properly and a dancer got injured and they don't get compensation for that. And that's not cool. So there are things that are happening, but it's a slow process. I think what people need to do is they need to get together as a community because the community is big enough. There's so many communities now, single entity, like companies have an entire entity, have an entire community fan base, you know, client base that is so big that it can do progressive change. It's just people have to take initiative and the communities have to come together for for the same causes. And also those causes have to be shared with the, with the mass community. Uh, a lot of people don't know, you know, what's going on in a lot of different dance worlds because it's not current for them. It, no one's talking about it. So, you know, I feel like if people bring up serious issues more often, then, then active change can happen from that. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely hear you on that. And yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on all of that. So we're going to go into a series of fun questions now. I'm really interested in hearing your answers on these. Are you ready? Oh my goodness. Okay, try me. I'll go. <laughs> Spitfire. Lay them at me. Here we go. Dance style you haven't tried but would like to and why? Oh, dance style that I haven't tried but I would like to. Because you've tried everything, almost everything probably. I've tried a lot of things and if I haven't tried them, you know, learning them in, in a class from someone, I've I've tried and looked them up online and done extensive research and really went over their core uh, principles and values and methods and, and aesthetics. I don't know. I love Tahitian. Oh my god, they are fire. Yeah, I love Tahitian. I also love Hawaiian dance for the men. Although I don't think I can squat like that and stay, you know, <laughs> like, I don't like, you know what I mean? Like, but that is just so beautiful and so powerful. And yeah, I just find, I find beauty in a lot of things that are, um, that are intimidating and show power just as much as I find beauty in, in, in things that are still and silent. But yeah, like when you see like New Zealand, the Maori mm -hmm. people in New Zealand do the haka, you're just like, Oh, I yes. die every time. So like, I like, I very, I very much like, like capoeira. I love Brazilian capoeira. And mm -hmm. I think I would love to try that from a master and get, get their kind of insight on it. Um, and I think I'd be capable for the aesthetics that I incorporate in my, in my dance artistry. So I would say I've given you, I've given you a few <laughs> Tahitian. Yes. I don't know if I could do, I just like watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's mesmerizing to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, Capoeira might be it. That or um, male Hawaiian dance, you know? Cool. So, yeah. I can yeah. see that. So who is your favorite dancer or choreographer and why? Oh, God. <sighs> Female or male dancer? Both. Give me one of each. I'm curious. Ah, you did that to me. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's so, it is so different. Um, based on a facility, like what the human body can physically do, um, Sylvie Guillaume um, is beautiful. Just what, what the lines that she can make with her body. But there are also... Um, great artists who do different cultural dance that I like. Um, male dance. Oh my goodness. Well, first off, let's just, let's just go to what, what makes me think a dancer is good. And that goes to conviction. It doesn't necessarily have to mean they have great technique. Um, something that you've heard me say a lot is 
performance always outweighs technique. Yes. You know, and I always give an example, you know, uh, and if you fall out of a double pirouette, but you drop down to a split and head roll and you, you know, you, you sell it like people are going to forget you fell out of that double pirouette. Whereas if you do a beautiful double pirouette and land it, so it's technically stunningly, but there's no conviction or emotion behind it essence presence behind it then it, it gets boring after a while very so often you know you, you don't want to see someone move in one single quality for a prolonged period of time that gets repetitive and boring after a while so what makes me see good in a dancer is someone who is just completely committing to what they're doing you could be smearing mud on your face i don't care but if you're in it and you're like yeah i'm like <laughs> yeah i'm like do it, it, it because 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 it's pushing boundaries and it's making me believe you. And I feel like a lot of people, they like to believe things. That's why we like our actors. When we see bad acting, we're like, that's not good. Um, we, like mm-hmm. to, we like to believe things. So if any dancer who can convict and be confident in what they're doing and have worth in what they're doing, that's what makes me think they're a great dancer. And if you can add technical excellence and many different dance genres on top of that, then I think you're phenomenal. Like, phenomenal. You know, there are so many great male dancers out there. Like Desmond Richardson is just technically stunning and beautiful. And his body is just beautiful to watch. To see a physically fit body do technically stunning things is just always indulgent to watch. But that's just technical. Um, You know, there are some straight up hip hoppers who go off. There are some footwork, like Chicago footwork. Those, Mm -hmm. they go off. There there are some, um, I don't know what it's called. I think it's like morphing or whatever. You know, where people do like bone breaking and stuff. And that is spectacular to watch. It really depends on on what the aesthetic is, the highlighting aesthetic of that style is. um, That makes me think that they're a good dancer or not. So I I have no idea for male. I have no idea for male. (laughs) I'll tell you what I like. A fusion. Like I said, if you can be technically excellent and you can do many different styles and you can fuse them and you can have conviction in what you're doing and you can tell me something, you can put me into an experience, you can present a valid concept or narrative or character and make me feel with that character, then I will bow down to you. At the end of the day, it is a performance. It is an experience. So if you can encapture me, then that's it. Very well said. So dance style that currently describes your day and why? Dance style? Today? As today today? As in today, like right now as we're talking. Uh, the jive. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel a little uppity, got a little bounce in my step. Um, although, solo jive, because I don't have a partner, you know what I mean? So <laughs> maybe maybe I'll meet someone at the grocery store and we'll, we'll do a little, little jive in the, in, the, um, in the aisle, you know? We'll grab, a, <laughs> grab groceries, we'll throw, throw them in the air, we'll jive it out, we'll pay for my groceries, pay oh for her groceries. Gosh. We'll live it out. I don't know. But yeah, I'm feeling kind of jivey today. Okay, I can see that. <laughs> And I can see that happening in the grocery store knowing you. No, 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 no. We'll see. We'll see. So <laughs> I might just want to grab and go. So Grab and go. I yeah. am so thankful that I get to have this time with you and we get to talk about the thing that you've helped me with so much and that you've encouraged me so much and challenged me and pushed me beyond what I thought that I could do. And I'm so excited that I get to continue this journey of improving and becoming my best self in dance and all the areas of my life. And so I to say thank you, David, um, I feel like is so like, it's not enough for everything that you've done for me. But thank you so much. Thank you so much. And but the and that it, it validates what you're saying validates what I was talking about and what I look for my private students. So thank you so much. You are willing, you are hardworking, 
and you will put the work down and the effort behind it. Therefore, I am willing as well. So thank you so much for investing in yourself. And I am here with you for the journey. Marking your milestones with a mentor who educates you, who inspires you, who believes in you, who challenges you and takes you to new levels is a gift and it's priceless. And I love that I can say that I'm trained by my guest today, David Bagley, who you heard, who is awesome, right? And you can find him again at davidkbagley.com. And all the links will also be on the show notes at annettebone.com forward slash 100. And if you found this podcast helpful or any of the other sessions helpful, if you've listened to them, I would really appreciate a rating, a review, and for you to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play. And that way I can continue improving the podcast and get your name out on a future session of the Dance Preneuring Studio. Until next time, I pray that you have an exceptional week and more blessings than you can imagine. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you for listening. This has been a session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Find the archives of this show at annettebone.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Contact Annette at annettebone.com. This podcast copyright by annettebone.com and dancepreneuring.com. All rights reserved. The Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business.